Amen. Thanks, music crew. And uh, the wonderful words that we can sing, that we surrender all to Jesus Christ, um, but we can only do that because he's a blessed Savior, right? And uh, this, will, uh, this will frame our morning this morning. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. The Great Commission. This is how we've ended a lot of our services recently. This is how we'll start this morning. This will frame our text in Romans. If we're going to surrender all to Jesus Christ, this is what it means. This is Jesus' commission to us. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when, he saw him, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is Jesus' commission to the church. Go into all the world. The main point of what he's saying is make disciples. And to make disciples, it looks like baptizing them, it looks like teaching them, and it looks like going to them. To make disciples of all nations, we have to go to all nations. This is the mission of the church. This is the mission of South Shore. We don't get creative with what our mission is. We've structured our ministry around five distinct areas of ministry, but the ministry of the church is all for the mission of the great commission that Jesus Christ has given us, and that's make disciples of all nations, all people groups, all over the world. That's what God's looking for us to do. So this frames our passage this morning, and um, the main point that we're going to see as we go through this section of Romans, we're continuing our study of Romans, is that Christian mission requires goers and it requires senders if it's going to be biblical. That's the main point of this morning. Now, I fully admit that, that I'm not yet there entirely in applying this text, uh, but I think, as it has been for me, you'll find that, uh, that this might be really formative in your understanding of missions as we see what Paul has to say to the Romans in, uh, in Romans chapter 15. So would you turn with me to Romans chapter 15? We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 33. Romans 15, 14 through 33. And as you're finding your place, would you stand? Let's read God's word together from Matthew, or Romans 15, verses 14 through 33. Follow along as I read. Verse 14. I myself am satisfied you about about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of God, so that this offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, 
by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they're pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you, and I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Oh, Father, we pray that you would minister to us by your Spirit, through your Word. You've given us your Scripture for our instruction. You've, by your Word, transformed us to be living sacrifices for your glory. You've transformed us from the, the innermost part of our beings to desire to live for your glory and to be able to live for your glory because we've been united with Jesus Christ, the perfect man, God himself. Lord, we... Uh, we pray that you would draw us into your character as we understand what your plan is for your glory among all of the nations in all the world throughout all time. Pray that we would understand you more as a sovereign God, one who has a purpose, a wise purpose, a plan for the entirety of time, and that you've given each of us a specific role to play in that. That you'd use any of us in your service is beyond our understanding, if we really think about it. It's only by your grace that we've been called and adopted into your service. So we... Uh, we take up the call that you have given us, the charge of Christ, to make disciples and to make disciples of all nations. Lord, I pray that you would open up what your plan is for us this morning and that you draw us into it by your grace, by the leading of your spirit, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen. You can take a seat.
So we have a simple structure this morning. The main point that we're going to draw out of this passage is that there is a specific way that God has ordained missions to happen in his world, in his plan. And part of that is that we all have a role to play, and that plan involves the roles of people who go and people who are sent. But first we're going to start by looking at what's the theological foundation for missions? How do we understand what missions is? Why does missions exist? Why do we need to be a part of it? Why is there a role for us to play? And uh, so the theological foundation is what we look at first, and that's going to bring us from verses 14 down to 18. And then we're going to look at the practical implications of if missions exists, if we're supposed to be a part of it, if there's a role for us to play, what are those roles and how do we understand what role we're in? So the theological foundation we're going to set first, and that's what Paul does in verses 14 through 18. This is critical for having any solid biblical roots for missions. Uh, We don't want to just say, here's what missions is because it makes sense, because it's pragmatic. We want it to be rooted in the scriptures, and this is what the scriptures have to say. So first, let me just define a couple terms. We're going to talk about missions as distinct from other areas of disciple making. So in the Great Commission, we are commissioned to make disciples of all nations. That involves things other than missions. That involves evangelism in our spheres of influence. That involves all kinds of unlimited different things um, to make disciples of all nations. But the all nations part really draws us to go. If we're going to make disciples of all nations, we actually have to go to all nations. We can't make disciples of all nations if everyone stays exactly where, are, where they are because there are places that don't have the gospel. So what that means is that missions, as we're going to talk about it this morning, is the going to a place that doesn't have uh, a gospel influence. It doesn't have a functioning church. Uh, It doesn't have a church that can multiply and send out missionaries in their local context. So it's going to that place, bringing the gospel, uh, planting a church, and then uh, working there until that church is self-sustaining. That's that's really the goal of missions, as we're going to talk about it this morning. So there's missions. Uh, Let's look at verses 14 through 18. Let me read verses 14 through 18. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. And this is just Paul being a little bit uh, understanding to the fact that they might not recognize his authority entirely. He didn't plant this church, so he's kind of softening his words a little bit. He's encouraging them. But on some points, verse 15, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Why? Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We'll stop there. Paul's being very firm with the Romans in some areas because he says, I've been given a commission by Jesus Christ and that's a commission to go first to the Gentiles. And this letter aligns exactly with his purpose, which is to primarily Gentile believers in Rome. So he's being very bold in some areas, and he's starting to interact at the end of verse 16 in sort of a a, a metaphor 
as a priest. So what's he saying? He's saying, I've been given a commission by Christ to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul's picturing himself as a priest and there's an offering which is actually the lives of the Gentiles and uh, Paul's ministering to them the gospel and then the result of that is that they are being made an acceptable sacrifice to Jesus Christ. They're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So how, how he's picturing it is really what's happened to each one of us who've come to Christ. What he's done is he's ministered to us the gospel of his grace by someone. Paul's talking about himself as a priest. The gospel's been ministered to us, but who are we apart from Christ? We're unclean, right? We're unclean creatures. But the gospel's ministered to us, and the Holy Spirit works in us, and what does he do? He sanctifies us. That's what Romans 6 and 7 was all about. He sanctifies us. He unites us with Jesus Christ so that we're made holy. We're made holy in our very natures. We're made holy and then we land on the altar of God and he makes us living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him. That's what God does with each of us. So he's, Paul's saying, this is my ministry. My ministry is specifically to the Gentiles to bring them so that they would be sacrifices to Jesus Christ that would be worthy of his name. And he does that in, uh, in a slightly different way in verse 18. Look at verse 18. He says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. His aim is to bring the Gentiles to obedience. He says that at the beginning of, of the letter as well, that he's received grace and apostleship, this is Romans 1.5, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ among all the nations. In obedience here, uh, we'll, we'll understand it by just looking at uh, Romans 12. It's, it's very general. It's obeying the gospel call. It's being made obedient in the heart. It's being made obedient in all of our practice. Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is how he frames all of chapters 12 through 15. This is the working out of the gospel, and what does it look like? It looks like, by God's grace, laying down your life as a living sacrifice. We're made holy and acceptable to God, and because of what he's done, the offering of our lives can be true spiritual worship, and it can actually glorify God because we're united to Jesus Christ, the sacrifice. So that's what he's saying. His aim is to bring the Gentiles to obedience, but what's the point? The point of his, his ministry isn't so that they would just hear the gospel or they would just be made obedient from the heart or just obedient in their practice. The, the aim is worship of God. The aim is spiritual worship. That's the aim of all of our lives, right? What's the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So what Paul's saying is that in his own ministry to the Gentiles, he's endeavoring to draw more people into that chief end of man. 
He's drawing more people into the Christian aim, which is to glorify God, and, uh, and they're able to lay down their lives as living sacrifices by God's grace because of what he's done. So that is, that's the foundation that he's setting. So let, let me just demonstrate that this, is, uh, this has been God's plan throughout all of the ages, that he connects people from all nations with worship to him. Psalm 67, three, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The next Psalm, Psalm 47, one and two, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm 96, three, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 96.10, say the, uh, among the nations, the Lord reigns. And we saw in uh, Romans 5, or Romans 15, just before our passage, we saw last week, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. Therefore, I will praise among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And this is God's plan throughout all of eternity. In Revelation 5.9, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. This is the Lamb. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 7, 9, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. They'd been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. So the ministry of the gospel Paul's demonstrating is with the aim to bring all nations to obedience to Christ for the sake of spiritual worship. So the goal of missions is worship. Missions isn't the end. We go to make disciples so that there'd be an acceptable offering to God of true spiritual worship. Now, with the theological foundation there that Paul establishes, that missions is all about the worship of all people to God, we have to play a part in this, right? How is God glorified by a life that's been united to Christ and is laid down entirely at his feet? It's glorified by continuing obedience to him, Part of glorifying him is going to be obeying his commission to take the gospel to all the nations. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, go into all of the world and make disciples. This is something that is for all of us. It's not for a select few. It's for all of us. We're all to go into the world and make disciples. But whether we all actually move or whether we send people that move is the question. So, what we're going to spend our time on the remainder is uh, how are you going to contribute to getting the gospel to the unreached? Every Christian has a role to play in missions. It's going or it's being part of sending. And which of it is, is going to be the reality for you? So, there are two distinct options. Now, I just want to clarify these aren't uh, options that are distinct in importance but they're distinct in their function. 
So we have two functions that are necessary for getting the gospel to the unreached, and it requires people who go and people who send. Uh, but neither can happen without the other. There's no sending if there's no one that's going to go, and there's no going if there's no means by which they're sent. So these are two things that are absolutely necessary, but one's not import- more important than the other. We, uh, I think we all understand we need more of both. So the two functions. The first is to go. Paul establishes that in verses 20 to uh, 22. So verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul was a goer, and he says that all, every part of his life Every part of his ministry was to accomplish this. He says, in word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, all by the power of the Holy Spirit, everything was for this purpose, and it was to go to the people who had never heard the gospel. And he grounds his mission in Isaiah 52, 12. Those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. This has always been God's plan that the Gentiles, that people who had never been exposed to the promises, the blessings of God, would receive the gospel. And how is it going to happen? It's going to happen because people that the Lord saves are then going to go out, and they're going to accomplish that mission to all the nations. So Paul is a goer. Uh, I just want to distinguish his role from all of us we're not all missionaries, but we, we, we talk like, like that a lot. And you, you could say we're all missionaries in the sense that we're all to make disciples, we're all to take the gospel into all of our spheres of influence, right? But if we say we're all missionaries in every sense of the term, I think it really doesn't do justice to the reality that we have to go to all nations. And it, it also doesn't do justice, I think, to what Paul is laying out, that there's a role to go to the people who have never heard of the gospel. So we're not all missionaries in that sense. Uh, there's, there's a need for relief work by nonprofits. There's a need for soup kitchens. There's a need for all of these things. But uh, there's a need as well for going to all nations. And doing just those things doesn't accomplish that. So that person who goes to aid in the furthering of the gospel to the unreached is a missionary in this sense. Sometimes we'll call it maybe a frontier missionary, a pioneer missionary. That, that missionary task, building on how we defined missions at the beginning, is then to go into places where the gospel isn't and to build self-sustaining churches, to train in, in church leadership, evangelism, discipleship, Now going, just to draw out a little bit more that might be here that, that Paul doesn't say, is that going necessarily involves other things aside from just the person who's preaching the gospel. Going requires people who are going to be involved in administration, uh, training the missionaries, training church planters, uh, teaching their children, running an overseas business, for an inroad to gospel ministry. There, there are a lot of ways to accomplish this missions as Paul is, is describing it. Um, 
but the point is, it's all for furthering the, the reach of the gospel into places where it isn't right now. So that's a role of the, the missions and the role of the missionary as Paul sees it. He sees himself as a missionary in that sense. And when we're talking about unreached, there's maybe one more term to, to define here. There are a lot of terms. We use a lot of these terms in a lot of different ways, but uh, unreached people groups, we're, we're talking about distinct ethnic groups that don't have the gospel uh, represented within their group. So they might be distinct by language, by culture, by uh, social order, uh, a lot of different things, but the gospel isn't there functioning in uh, a real multiplying way. Uh, so they're, they're really unreached, and they don't have the gospel available to them like people do in Barrie. There's a church here, they can come, if they want to hear the gospel, they can come to us. Hopefully we're going to them as well, but there is a, there's a gospel presence here in Barrie. There isn't in a lot of places in the world, actually thousands of unique ethnic groups. So go, there are people who have to go to accomplish Christ's mission for the church. So the application for us is maybe some of us would be that person, right? Maybe some of us would be people who have to go because we've been called by God to accomplish this specific function to carry out his ministry in the world for the worship of all people and all nations for his great glory in all the world. How then will they call on him in whom they have never believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's the goer to someone who's going to aid in the preaching of the gospel, to someone who's never heard, so that they can hear, and hearing, they can believe, and believing, they can call on the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. But Romans 10, 15, how are they to preach unless they're sent? If someone's to go, then that means people have to send them. So that's the second function we have here. Paul lays it out pretty clearly that there are senders, and this is most of us. So this will take us from verse 24 down to 33. Let's first see how Paul establishes the function of a sender. So uh, verse 24, he says this to the Romans, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. That'll be the focus. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So the main thing here to see is uh, something that we might pass over if we're uh, just doing a cursory reading. And it's he's hoping from the Romans to be helped on his journey. So he's going to Spain. He says, my work here is done for now. I've, I've accomplished Christ's mission for me where I am and that's establishing churches in strategic locations that can then multiply where they are in their own cultural context and language. And he says, God has a new thing for me to do, and that's to go to Spain where the gospel hasn't reached before. So this would be further than the far reaches of the gospel uh, at this point, going way west. So he's saying, I'm going to Spain, but my hope is that as I'm passing through you, to see you, Romans. And he says, well, I do hope to see you for a little while, enjoy your company. Uh, he said, the main point really is that I'd be helped on my journey there by you. So 
to be, to be helped, it's, it's actually a, a really clear uh, sort of a technical term in the New Testament to talk about missionary support. The, the verb uh, is propempo, when it is used in a missionary context in the New Testament, the word that, that's here translated helped, it means to send someone along with every needed form of support, especially financial support. Let me just demonstrate that from two passages. Um, Titus 3, 3, Paul's writing to Titus. He says this to Titus, Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. That's the same word, speed on their way, exact same word. And what does it look like to speed them on their way? It's to see that they lack nothing, that they can make their journey to him, that they are supported in every way that they need to be supported to, to make that journey happen. In 3 John 5 through 8, John writes this, Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. He's saying, you should be faithful senders because these people are faithful goers and they need people to support them. That's exactly what Paul's saying right here. I'm going to Spain. This is God's commission to extend the reach of the gospel to places where it hasn't gone, but I need you to help me on my way. So that... that that's, that's really important for all of us because most of us are people who will send people who will go. So the function of the sender, providing the means necessary for a missionary to get to the field and to be sustained with no or limited local support. Now for Paul, what are the things that he needed to get there. He needed money to get on his way. He needed supplies to get on his way. He might want accompanying people. That happened uh, often in the New Testament. And he needed to be sustained there uh, when he got onto the field. So it's not explicit here, but I, I would tend to agree, and a lot of commentators would say that he's probably trying to establish some sort of long-term strategic partnership with the Roman church. That this is a really strategic location it's about two-thirds of the way between where he's going to be in Jerusalem and Spain. And uh, he needs a continual support from a church for that ministry to really be fruitful. He's not planning to go on his own. He's going into uh, uncharted territories. He's going to be a pioneer, a frontier missionary. And he needs some support in every way. Uh, and he's looking for that from the Romans. To give you an illustration of what this looks like, uh, most of you familiar with the life of William Carey to some extent, a uh, great missionary to uh, India. And in, uh, in discussion with Andrew Fuller, Andrew Fuller wrote to him, there's a gold mine in India, but it seems as deep as the center of the earth. Who will venture to explore it? And William Carey said, I will go down, but remember that you must hold the rope. His idea was that he was going to go for the sake of the reach of the gospel 
uh, but he needed people who would hold the rope for him and provide that support. He couldn't do it on, its, on his own, uh, as bold, as courageous as he was in Christ. So if you're not going, then you're sending. You are in some way helping to send people to the, those who don't know of Christ. So what we're gonna see is, uh, is three principles. And this will finish us off this morning. Three principles for what sending looks like. And, and Paul, I think, explains these pretty clearly in the remainder of our passage. Three principles to flesh out what sending looks like. And this is really important for most of us who are going to be sending. So the first one is be ready to send. Verse 24, Paul says, I hope to see you on my way to Spain and to be helped there by you. He, uh, interestingly, he doesn't say um, pray and seek the Lord's will. I, it's probably assumed that they're going to pray and say, is this something that the Lord would bless? This ministry that Paul is endeavoring to do uh, over in Spain, should we be involved? But he, he, the expectation is they're going to help him. They're going to help him get to Spain. So his expectation is that they'd be ready as a church to be able to send him uh, for the gospel. Now, um, how are they going to discern God's will here? I think really all they need is they realize that there's a, a new frontier for missions there. The gospel isn't there. People are not saved in Spain. People are going into an eternity in hell. And we have a, a missionary, a faithful man of God who's seeking to go there. Let's help him, right? Let's help him get there so that the gospel can go, so that disciples can be made, so that Christ's mission for the church can be accomplished. Um, I don't know if there's, if there's too much there that, that they need to understand and the principle for us is be ready to send people. Be prayerful, but be ready to send people in that, uh, that we would be thinking through our entire lives and our finances, which we'll get to in the next principle, so that we're ready when an opportunity arises to be able to send someone who would go and advance the, the purpose of God's gospel. Also, be ready to send people when... Uh, maybe in a timely way in God's providence, opportunities arise. The second principle is to have a wartime mentality in your finances. Let me read verses 25 through 29. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they're pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And Paul is illustrating what it looks like to think Christianly about your finances. So, uh, what he's saying to the Romans is that Macedonia and Achaia are using their money in a way that is in line with 
how they should as Christians. They're using their money in a way that glorifies God. So the, the Christians, largely Gentile in Macedonia and Achaia, Paul's over there, he's collected money from these believers, and they want to send some relief over to the Christians who are in Jerusalem who are largely Jewish. And they want to do this to communicate something about how they understand they're united in the gospel, they're united in Christ. They want to use their money in a way that glorifies God. That's the point that, that Paul's trying to communicate. Because you saw it within the context is that Paul's just said that he's expecting from the Romans some financial support. Uh, and he doesn't have to lay out exactly what he's doing and all of the reasons why he's going over to Jerusalem to deliver support, but he's saying, look, Romans, there are people out there, other believers, who are using their money in a way that glorifies God, in a way that aligns with how we should as living sacrifices of worship to Christ, and you should probably observe that because it plays a part in what I'm asking for, from you in support on my mission to Spain. So, uh, so Paul's principle is that you should do likewise. You Romans should do likewise as you think about helping me on my, my journey to Spain. Now, why do I use the term uh, wartime mentality? Some of you may have uh, visited this term when we went through the book um, Don't Waste Your Life. Last year, a bunch of us read Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. In chapter 7, he uses this term wartime mentality. And the point of it is to distinguish other types of mentality that we could have when it comes to our possessions as Christians. To distinguish it from just simplicity in lifestyle, um, in frugality. Those things, they don't have any end to them. It's just for the sake of being that way. Wartime is a specific context. There's a specific aim. Um, there's a reason why in that context, you do the things you do with your possessions. So that's why he uses that term. And I think it's helpful here to distinguish other ways that we could use our money uh, from Christian ways that we could think about all of our possessions. Now, to, uh, to illustrate this, he, he gives an example in, in that uh, book, Don't Waste Your Life, and he quotes uh, Ralph Winter, and he's someone who, who gave his life to uh, the unreached peoples in the world. And this is what Ralph wrote about a ship. The Queen Mary, lying in repose in the harbor at Long Beach, California, is a fascinating museum of the past. Used both as a luxury liner in peacetime and a troop transport during the Second World War. Its present status as a museum the length of three football fields affords a stunning contrast between the lifestyles appropriate in peace and in war. On one side of a partition, you see the dining room reconstructed to depict the peacetime table setting that was appropriate to the wealthy patrons of high culture, for whom a dazzling array of knives and forks and spoons held no mysteries. On the other side of the partition, the evidence of wartime austerities are in sharp contrast. One metal tray with indentations replaces 15 plates and saucers. Bunks not just double but eight tiers high explain why the peacetime complement of 3,000 gave way to 15,000 people on board in wartime. 
How repugnant to the peacetime masters this transformation must have been. To do it took a national emergency, of course. The survival of a nation depended on it. The essence of the Great Commission today is that the survival of many millions of people depends on its fulfillment. Imagine if you inherit $10,000 from a long-lost relative today. How do you process through how you use that money? Now, if you're in the context of war, how do you process through how you use that money? If you have an income of $50,000 today, you have a $50,000 lifestyle. What if your income increases to $100,000? Does that necessitate that your lifestyle is a $100,000 lifestyle. These are the things to think about as we think about how do we live with a mindset that we're in spiritual war, which we are, and how should we think Christianly about all of our possessions, uh, especially our finances. We're at war. We're at war for the souls of men. So all of us as Christians are to use our money like lives are actually on the line because they are. How does the reality of the Great Commission, unreached peoples, how does this guide how I spend my income? That's the second principle. Consider your money with a wartime mentality. Okay, so the, the third principle is in the the following verses. Verses 30 through 33. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you and with joy be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul's saying, in the strongest words, you have to pray for me for these exact things that I'm going to carry out right now so that the, the mission that I have, right, the mission in, in like small case M, going to Jerusalem right now, delivering this money to the saints, that that would be profitable, uh, but also so that just in terms of safety, I'd be delivered so that I can get to Spain why is Paul saying this? He, he's saying this because he recognizes that God is a sovereign God. He has control over all of things in this world, all of time, all of reality, all of our lives. And he's only going to make it there in Spain and be fruitful if God blesses him. And he recognizes that God's means for accomplishing his purposes is prayer. He didn't have to bring us into his purposes in this way, but he says, I have a plan from beginning to end and how things are accomplished. That's the God we serve. We worship a God who is sovereign, and he invites us to be a part of that plan by praying, and he accomplishes and he works out his will for all of the nations by the prayers of the saints. So he says, pray for me. People have recognized this all through time, and this is what's fueled missions in the world. You'd be familiar with Hudson Taylor. He said this to a Canadian missionary, Jonathan Goforth, which is a pretty good name for a missionary, Goforth. <laughs> we, we as a mission have sought for 10 years to enter the province of Honan from the south. 
This is where Jonathan was trying to go, trying to go into this new province. But we've only just succeeded. Brother, if you would enter that province, you must go forward on your knees. Hudson Taylor recognized that this could only be accomplished by God's blessing through prayer. Um, But he encouraged prayer. Why? Because uh, Hudson Taylor was also one who said, we are asked to do an impossible task, but we work with him who can do the impossible. He depended entirely on God. And we depend entirely on God to train missionaries, to stir the hearts of people, to gather support for missionaries, to get missionaries to unreached peoples, to sustain them while they're there, and most importantly, to make the gospel work effectual in the hearts of people when they arrive. The Holy Spirit must move in each part of this sequence of events to make anything possible. So we pray because God has promised to work through us and Christ promises to be with us in all of it by his Spirit. Matthew 28, at the end, he says, Behold, I, Jesus Christ, am with you always to the end of the age. We have to lean on him. We have to lean on him, and he promises he'll be with us, and he will work for his great glory in all of the earth. So prayer is God's means to accomplish his will, and we have to be praying for missions. That's, that's part of God's will. A, a helpful resource is uh, Operation World, or the Joshua Project, uh, for understanding unreached people groups that are out there and how we can be praying for them, or maybe how can we, how can we be going, how can we be, how can we be sending. Um, I'll give you one example. Bangladesh is on their, their list today, March 1st. They said, Bangladesh, uh, about 164 million people in Bangladesh uh, 430 something unreached people groups, so distinct groups of people that are different ethnically in some different way from the other people, and they all need a, a specific ministry to them. And 88% of all of those 432 unreached people groups are uh, people groups are unreached. Uh, the, the gospel hasn't been to them. So just be thinking about these different ways that we can be praying for God's global mission and also be praying for our involvement uh, in it specifically. So principles, be ready to send. Have a wartime mentality in your finances. And strive in prayer for success in missions. So that summarizes the sending. If you're not going at the moment, this is you. Sending. Everyone has a role in missions. I'll repeat, discipleship is for everyone. The Great Commission is for everyone, but not everyone is to go to all nations. Some people are to go, uh, and some people have to send. That's how God is going to accomplish his mission. Now, um, let's make some specific application. So the Brown family is going to another part of the world. They're going to extend the reach of the gospel, places where it isn't right now, and specifically um, so that Adam can be a part of training church leaders, pastors, missionaries in uh, the Middle East, in Dubai, so that they can go back to their local contexts and be fruitful in uh, carrying on the work of the church mission. Now, 
if they're going, uh, we have to apply these principles and they need people who can send them. As Paul was going to Spain, he needed people that could send him. As the Browns are going to Dubai, they need people who can send them. Um, because Adam isn't going with an income from the seminary, uh, but he's going with, Lord willing, the support of this church and hopefully many other people outside of South Shore. They need your help to accomplish the mission of the gospel for the sake of spiritual worship among all peoples in all nations. Now, just to review what GTC is all about, the Golf Training Center. The Golf Training Center is, is in Dubai. It's located in the middle of that 1040 win- window, 10 degrees, 40 degrees latitude. And this is where the majority of the unreached peoples are in the world. They're, they're right here. So it's a very strategic location. And these people, not only are there so many unreached people groups, there are also, by necessity, a lot of people groups that don't have any theological training. They don't have the training that we have uh, in Canada, in the U.S., in the Western world in general. We take it for granted around here. and I, I'm planning on going to seminary, and it is something that is essential for the, the, the maximizing of God's ministry in each of our lives, in pastors, in, in missionaries. They need theological training, and this is something that the Browns are seeking to do. Just picture this. So a missionary, church planter, a pastor, um, he goes to Bangladesh, let's say, and he goes to an unreached people group, uh, largely Muslim, and people are saved with the ministry of the gospel. And they form a church, leaders are established, but they have no real theological training. They have a basis from the missionary, but they don't have anything really substantial to to help sustain them for long-term ministry where they are. So they can go to a place like the Golf Training Center, maybe the closest place uh, for them, to get real, in-depth theological training. uh, And that place needs people who will train those students that are coming. It's it's as simple as that. And right now, they're they're very limited in faculty. What's one? um, And the plan is to hopefully add three more over the next one and a half years. And if they do, um, Lord willing, there could be a couple, a few hundred students. But it's, the demand is there, the need is there, but the, the people who are actually practically doing the training aren't there uh, because they need people who can send them. The, the seminary, one other thing to highlight is it's not like uh, an institution in Canada. It's not like a publicly funded university. Here we have alumni, and we have wealthy benefactors, and we have all kinds of support. Uh, over there, there's no alumni. There is no established um, connections with all kinds of churches, and uh, they need a lot of support to make this happen. They need money. They need finances. They need practical help to carry out the mission that they have of training up church leaders, pastors, missionaries among uh, a largely Muslim world, unreached people groups. 
for the sake of worship. So this is, uh, this is the goal of the Browns. And um, just to make it really practical, they've, they've handed out um, papers that explain how the fundraising might happen. Here's a simple way. 800 people at $25 a month. That's one way of looking at it. So that would mean, um, hopefully, you are giving to the, 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 mission, uh, the ministry that they're endeavoring to do. More importantly, they're looking for people who can raise up support. They're looking for people who can pull in others who would then multiply the support so that this can happen. And it's, it's a lot of money, but in, uh, in wartime, in uh, any time in Christian ministry, there are real worthwhile investments to make. And this is a worthwhile investment, I think we can all say, in training up people to go to unreached peoples. Um, one thing to highlight is this budget, I, when, I, when I saw the number, I think that's a big number. Adam highlighted for me that th- this, is, this is vetted by the Golf Training Center and also by Training Leaders International, who they're actually going with, um, to, to be a, this is a reasonable budget to be sustained in this area. It's not a number that the Browns have made up, but it's a, it's a right number, and this is, uh, this is uh, the right way to support them. So here's, here's a priority. Give $25 a month. There's an example. More importantly, rally other people who can give money to this cause and pray. Pray that God would make it happen. Pray that God would bring the people in to get them there, to sustain them there, and pray that the ministry in Dubai would be fruitful. So I think that's a, that's a biblical application that we can all make here, that there's an opportunity to send, uh, an opportunity in God's providence that he's brought along. Um, let's help them get there, and let's help sustain them there so that the reach of the gospel can be extended. We could be doing a lot of things as a church. Um, we could be, we could have a soup kitchen. We could, um, we could minister to people uh, downtown primarily, the poor. Uh, we, could, we could minister to the wealthy in some context. <clears throat> we can do those things in our, in our own in our own lives, but we can't as a whole do everything. We can't do everything. We have to be strategic. So here's a strategic way that we can help send forward the gospel for the sake of spiritual worship among all the people in all the world. So the question for us, are you going to go? Are you going to send? Are you going to do both? Maybe for our lives, it would involve going for a season and sending for a season. Each of us needs to be actually involved in this global mission to bring all peoples to lay down their lives as living sacrifices of worship before the King of Kings. So go and be a missionary or be strategic about your money, your income here, and use it to send people who will be. But don't neglect God's will for you. Make disciples of all nations, all peoples. Let's pray. Our God... You are a God who's worthy of the worship of all peoples. 
you are a God who is sovereign, who is holy, who is marvelous in all your works. Lord, we understand that as those who've been called into the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and have enjoyed that, we understand that uh, the great aim of our lives is to glorify you. And in glorifying you, we want to draw other people in to glorifying you. We want to draw other people into enjoying you forever. We ask that you'd accomplish that purpose through us. That even as you've laid down our lives uh, by a, a work that we can't do of ourselves, and you've united us with Christ, and you've made us obedient from the heart, and you've, I, I pray that you would help us to, in practice, lay down our lives each day, bringing them to you as a blank check that you fill in all of the details, uh, that we truly surrender all, and that our lives would be used in your service in making disciples for the sake of your worship among all the nations. Lord, whether that means that we would go or whether we would send people, I pray that we would be involved and that you'd show each of us what we're going to do, what our role is going to be, and we don't seek to do it in our own strength. We seek to lean into your strength, the power of your Holy Spirit. This is the only way that our lives are going to be of any use. Uh, and that the reaches of your gospel is actually going to extend. It's all by your power. So we expect you to work as you've promised. You've given us a mission to do what would otherwise be the impossible, but you make it possible by your power, by your Holy Spirit, Christ's presence with us by him. And uh, we expect you to work through us and uh, we pray that we would be entirely dependent on you now and forever as you lead us on in accomplishing this mission. Be glorified in all the nations uh, in the world. Bring together people from every tribe and tongue and language that with one voice we would sing praises, that we would shout with joy to the one who has brought us all together, the Lamb who was slain, Jesus Christ, and that you would be glorified with the worship of our lives, of our lips, of our whole selves, now and forever, unending. We pray these things for the, the sake of your name among the nations. Amen.